You are listening to the Business Wilderness, the voice of entrepreneurs. Welcome to the Business Wilderness. My name is Amr Al-Huli and today I have a very special guest with me. Something different. We're spicing things up on the Business Wilderness. Tom Waterhouse from TomWaterhouse.com. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Amr. Good to be on. Uh, Tom, you've got a uh, very different background to what we usually have on the show, so we call people like yourself unique. Um, take us... A bit back in time and tell us where it all began and what you're, you're currently doing. Yeah, look, um, so I really began when I was at, in my first year of university and, and my dad said to me one day, he goes, look, do you want to come and, and help me one Saturday? And I went from a kid that grew up in a racing family but didn't have any passion for racing at all and, um, and wasn't interested. And then suddenly I went and worked with my dad and I saw just all the action um, that was in the betting ring, whether it was different characters to the big bets. Um, just to the theatre of, of the track, and I suddenly went, well, actually, this is really interesting. And, and so basically, I reorganised my uni- university timetables and, and worked with my dad all the time as a clerk and, and worked um, my grandfather. And um, I think what was really different is that my dad was, uh, amaz- was a really amazing dad as a, as a kid in, in that he, even if I didn't, hadn't proven myself or didn't have experience, he basically had faith that I could do things. So he gave me every job to do it under the sun at the track. And I remember even like I'd only been at the races maybe four or five weeks and he had to go away. And rather than giving someone experience that knew how to be a bookmaker, um, he said, look, I've got to go away, Tom, you run the stand. And um, oh, well, I didn't know really anything about how to be a bookie or how to run a stand. And, and he basically gave me the keys to the, to the business, only for these few days while he's away, but... That sort of faith that, oh, Tom, you'll be right, you'll know how to do it, um, really gave me so much confidence um, a, as a kid and, and I just loved it and really tried to keep myself up to the standard that, that I thought my dad had in me that, that I could do it and, um, and worked for him and loved it and then worked with my grandfather and then we formed a partnership together, um, went to all the races together, which was also terrific because he was 80 years of age and, and been the biggest bookmaker in, in the world in the 60s and 70s and basically came back to, to teach me how to be a bookie. And we we argued like cats and dogs every day um, at the racetrack because I thought, oh, well, he's uh, he's past it. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he thought I was some young, wet-behind-the-ears kid, which I was. And, and it actually turned out that, um, embarrassed to say, he was actually right about everything. But it, it was this amazing sort of period of knowing my grandfather very differently. I'd never known him as this businessman, but being mentored by him and, and having just that really honest feedback from him over sort of five years of, of working together. And, and so that's sort of how I, I sort of learn off these two um, amazing bookmakers being my dad and my, my grandfather. One was a, a massive gambler, my grandfather, and one was a, an amazing form analyst in, in my dad who's uh, very analytical and, and been a professional punter for 38 years. So I learned that from these two people, and, and that was sort of my beginning journey in, in, in racing and and betting. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. And your mother is also a horse trainer, if I'm, if I'm right. Yeah, she got me at the uh, age of my mum was an amazing mummy, and she was just so strict. Um, 
she rules, like she rules the her, her stable, she rules with an iron fist, and, and um, that discipline, she gets up at 2.05 every morning. My dad gets up at about 3 o'clock every morning. Wow. And, and um, that discipline, day in, day out, um, as, yeah, it was true. She got me at the age of sort of 12 onwards to be working a week at, uh, at the track um, uh, every week, a week every holidays at the track and, and getting up at 2.30 in the morning and, and then working every Sunday all throughout my high school years. And, and uh, I really didn't like it. Uh, it was a hard, hard yakka. And um, but that was great. And, and obviously very admiring. She's been, her dad obviously was leading group one um, wing trainer and, and she's been just a, a phenomenon, phenomenon uh, in terms of um, what she's been able to achieve, winning Melbourne Cups and over 100 group ones. And yeah, she's, she's amazing. And just to put things into context, Tom comes from one of the most successful horse racing families in Australia. Um, so now, Tom, what are you, what are you currently doing now? So basically, um, the, the environment really shifted in, in 2008, 2009, in that on-course bookmaking, um, was, was really, was really big. You go and either bet with the tab or bet with your bookie. And what happened was, is the, obviously the iPhone came out, uh, around that time. You had 3G connection and you had the ability that, online betting operators could start to advertise. And so a lot of the customers that were betting at the track um, suddenly started to, to leave and, and bet online. And so I moved from being uh, an on-track booking down in Melbourne to being just a telephone-only operator and thought, well, I'll, I'll start up um, an online offering for, for the customers and launched a just a sort of standard or just a basic offering in 2009, 2010, and thought, oh, well, I'll do a little bit of advertising. Um, and so I started off with a $100,000 marketing budget in about 2011, and it just went, it just grew really quickly. And I think the, the difference in that people knew the Waterhouse name, uh, obviously being an individual um, rather than a, a, another sort of a faceless company or a sports bet, sporting bet, TAB sports, but they sounded similar. So having an individual as a, as a name, and we basically went from 100 customers to a quarter of a million customers in, in 18 months and just really fast growth. And, That's and, amazing. Um, it was really, it was, it was, it was really um, an interesting time in terms of change of legislation, change in technology, um, and was a really different business. The online bookmaking business aren't really bookmaking business. They're like any um, online business, highly uh or spend a lot of money on your technology, improving user experience uh, and, and your marketing to make sure you get new customers um, yeah. coming in. And, and it's all about basically acquisition, retention uh, and reactivation of those customers. And so that was a really interesting journey. We, we had three people in the office um, when we started out and we grew to over 100 people in that sort of 18-month period. And wow. then sold the business um, to William Hill, which was also a really exciting journey to um, go from sort of startup to to basically selling in that sort of 18 months or years. It was like a roller coaster. And um, sold to them. And, and then six months or nine months after we sold to William Hill, the, the global CEO of William Hill said, look, we bought, they bought Centibet and Sportingbet and TomWaterhouse.com. They said, look, would you, will you come and run this business for us in Australia? And, and so uh, my family were like, what are you, why would you go and why do you want to work for someone else? Don't, don't be, be ridiculous, and, and none of my family, they've all been back generations. Of, I don't, can't think of any of them that had a job, and I said, well, look, I've never 
um, been in this corporate environment and, and to run a, um, uh, like a large business and, and to be part of this sort of um, public listed company in the UK, I, I thought was interesting and, and really enjoyed that and, and did that for the last few years. And, and then we sold William Hill Australia to Stars Group, a uh, Canadian group that bought Crown Bet um, and William Hill. Now it's called Bet Easy. And as part of that deal, um, was able to buy back the TomWaterhouse.com brand on the condition that I um, didn't go back into betting in Australia for at least two years. And so I just thought, what what should I do with it? And then, and one thing that um, I know and the family know is, is we know how to win betting. My, my dad's been a professional punter for 38 years and, and my grandfather um, and and also the, what they've taught me. And, and it's really hard to do. It's most people um, don't win betting and that's just because the percentage is against you and, and um, it requires a lot of discipline. And basically there's three ingredients to being a winning punter. You need to um, work out the probability of the different events. So you have to do the form uh, and analysis and, and that requires a lot of a lot of work. You then need to know how much to, to have on those particular picks and you need to get on at the best price. And... Um, it requires work and discipline and also knowing how to actually do it. And so I just thought, well, as I'm not a bookie anymore, why don't I give the secrets to my grandfather and my, my, my dad and also what I learned from running a, um, a large corporate bookmaking business here in Australia, the secrets to um, members out here and just see if they were interested in it and been surprised that, that they have been. I'm not surprised I knew some people would be interested in it, but I didn't think it would be um, in terms of, the amount of people would be interested in, in in how you win betting, and, and basically just said to them, look, if if I don't what I what I'm telling you and showing you and and sharing, if what I say doesn't have positive performance, then I'm not looking to you to pay anything. I'm money back on your subscription if we ever have a losing month, um, and and but if if it does, then subscribe to be a member, and, and I hope you want to be a member for as long as I'm providing value and. I, yeah, and basically it was just sharing what I found interesting myself and what I learned rather than um, I didn't come up with some long business plan. I just launched it a day or two after I left and just did it on a basic website that's, and, uh, yeah, just me and uh, another guy and we've just been basically um, yeah, getting it up and going and it's nice to be back up in startup land again. You know, it's a uh, it'd big it'd corporate environment. You have a lot of people being able to do you become a quick delegator, and yeah. um, it's nice to be in that different environment now. Let's go back to um, when you were CEO of a large, large corporation. You went, you transitioned from a very fast-growing startup to a large corporation, and now you're you're back to a startup again. Um, let's let's focus on the large large corporation, and then we'll get into the startup stuff. You come in as a new CEO. Uh, whenever a new leader comes in, there's always changes. There's always things that you change, people you employ, so on, so on. And there's challenges in implementing those changes. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that you came across going going into a, into such a position, powerful one too? So I think the I think the biggest um, mistake that I made in terms of going into um, uh, corporate or the biggest challenge was that 
you when in startup environment you get a blank canvas. So you get to say, this is exactly how things should operate. This is how I want this to happen, this is the process I want, these are the type of people I want. When you go into an organization with 200, 300, 500 people, and Hill Australia had offices in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Darwin, Tel Aviv, Philippines, you, you suddenly go, oh, well, look, that's not done exactly right. And that's not done, or that person's not up to the standard that I have here. And you can make very big changes, but actually those things work. They may not be working at their optimal, but they can they actually do work. And, and so you, I think what you've got to be, you've got to have a clear vision of where you want to take the business to. Um, but you you don't want to cut into, into muscle. You've actually got to keep the core business because these big corporations, they operate on a quarter by quarter, half yearly, yearly reporting basis. So when you suddenly go, well, look, over a five-year, ten-year period, we're going to cut away at this because it's going to be better because these people are going to, well, they've got to go to the city the next quarter and suddenly say, oh, well, look, turnover's down or margin's down or margin's up, turnover's down. And I think that is, it's, a, I think the, you've got to, if you're going to make big, very big changes, you've got to make sure that you've got shareholders, board, global PLC, stakeholders, basically all on board with where this vision is, is going um, because you have to, to it, you have to make some big big calls sometimes and you need to make sure that they're in for a longer period of time because when it's your own business and you say well this is where I want to get to in 10 years that's completely normal you know it's but if you're in a corporation the average tenure of a, a CEO is often only two to three years so they suddenly go, yeah, well, this is the right thing. This is where we'll be ultimately a winner in this space in, in 10 years. You've got to make sure that everyone's on the same page with that. And um, and the thing that was uh, is very different is that you can be very nimble in a startup environment. So you can jump very quickly from one thing to the next to the new opportunity. And that has its disadvantages and advantages. And then in a big company, You've got to be. I always think of it as like being a speedboat in a startup or in a in a big ocean liner. And there's so many advantages about being on a big ocean liner, but it's you can't quickly change direction as as, as you can sometimes with a startup. And um, and but it was just an amazing few years with William Hill because I learned so much. These big corporations have such an advantage when it comes to um, their like global presence, what they can leverage off having like. The, the skill sets that we had in Tel Aviv, in the, the Philippines, I was amazed by the skill sets in, in the Philippines. Like, we went from just having a few back office finance uh, finance people to having our, our quants team, our business intelligence team, to our um, some of our, like, digital design, to um, some of our trading analysis, to our uh, .modi site development, uh, all out of the Philippines, which I, and it's, Dramatically, the skill sets are terrific, and it's dramatically um, cheaper than what you find in 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 places like Australia. And so, to be able to see that um, what's there and, and the skill sets when it comes to some of the digital marketing and um, um, skill sets in Tel Aviv that we saw were were, were amazing. And um, also, the way that these companies structure themselves um, was was a real insight. You just don't know that coming from. Uh, a startup environment or, or a family business, um, and, and then at the same time, 
coming from a startup business, you have these massive advantages that people often don't have in corporate environments because when you're in a startup, you have to do everything. So which person in a corporate organization um, has basically done all the digital marketing, has set up the website, has done the accounts payable, has done the budgeting, has um, basically done all the trading or done all of the data analysis or analyzed you have to do every little bit because there's not that many people. So they both. There's not one. To me, I wouldn't say I. I love. I would only want to be in startups, or I only want to be in a big corporate environment. I think. Um, I think it is. Um, I think it's both amazingly interesting, and both both have um, their huge advantages and, and, and disadvantages. And um, but but it was it was really great. I mean. You mentioned a few valid points. Uh, with with corporations, they they basically live quarter by quarter, especially if they're publicly listed companies. And the other point is, you said if the you have to have your board, your board, your shareholders, your investors, everyone on board with with your vision as a CEO, if you've got a long term plan. A clear example of that is Mr. Bezos. <laughs> Jeff Bezos from Amazon, you know what I mean? For, for many years, they're running at a loss. But he had a team around him that just were willing to back him and pump as much money as they needed to because they all had the same vision. And now, and now look at them. They're the biggest, the second largest company in, in the world. So it's definitely, it's definitely a, uh, can be a winning formula. Unfortunately, nowadays, too many live quarter by quarter. So... It can it's, be tough. It's uh, I think this that he's a, obviously done an amazing job, and he has the benefit of that even though it's a public company, he's founder and, and larger shareholders, and and he drives it the same way as a lot of those um, big tech um, founders have, have done. They've been able to drive it the same way as you drive your own startup business because it's their business. You know, no one thinks of even though it's probably this company, you probably own shares in Amazon and that's the people that are listening, but I think of it not only as a public company, but as Jeff's business, you know, and, and you drive at a point where it's hard for a professional CEO if he knows the average timeline is three years before the chairman or the board say, well, look, we're getting the next CEO. <laughs> uh, it's, it's only human nature yeah. to think in that time frame because that's basically the time frame of, of what he's of what he's got, and um, and yeah, as you rightly point out, that's one of the disadvantages. And I and I guess um, it, when looking for companies to invest in, it's probably something that it's probably quite good to look at in, in terms of what's the time frame. Do you believe in the vision of where they're going, and and do you think this company's in the right direction to be going in the, in the next ten years? And that's not to say I'm not saying that William Hill at all is not. You know. It's it just is a different, and I guess that I didn't appreciate that enough coming into that environment for the first time. Um, Which tends to happen. I mean, yeah. it's basically normal. Um, all right, so you've been in both worlds. You've been in startup land. You've been in corporate land. Uh, if you could do the journey all, all over again, what things would you do differently, or maybe none? No, of course, there's like there's um there's a million things in in, the, in like like there's always because you, 
basically, you, there's so many factors in decision-making. You sort of have a vision of where things are going and how you should build your business, but you don't know what's happening from a competitive environment, a regulatory environment. There's all these external factors that keep banging into you. And um, the benefit of, of hindsight is an amazing thing. You know, you can say, well, I wouldn't have done that because I didn't know the taxes were going to go up, or I wouldn't have done this because I didn't know that these competitors would spring up. Um, there's, there's just unlimited, but I'm so thankful that I've gone on that journey because you don't know what you don't know. I, I thought you, you think you know everything when when I was working with my grandfather, who's been the biggest bookie in the world. I was so stupid. I thought that I knew I could tell him how to be a bookie, and you know what I mean. And that that's yeah. that, that's how, how naive and uh, uh, but spending the time with him, spending the time in in um, being an on-course bookmaker, being a telephone bookmaker, starting up a startup, running William Hill uh, here in Australia, to back in startup land again. If I didn't have those mistakes, if you call them, of not doing this or doing that, I think one of mistakes is just the journey of business. We make good calls, bad calls all the time. Experiences. Then, yeah, you don't have the experiences. And, yeah. um, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm really great. I'm really grateful for them. Um, and... Um, yeah, I, I, and I'm and I'm happy back being growing a business again. It's um, it, it's it's really different. It's re, it's really different. And um, I think what's also interesting is that mindset difference. And I think you touched on this when you mentioned um, Amazon and some of those great tech companies. Is that in corporate environment, especially I found the UK corporate environment is very set in terms of the upside that people in the organisation can get. Um, don't, don't get me wrong, they pay really well and bonus really well and stuff, but there, there's some people that, that we had a few people that left um, in, in Australia and then went and started their own startups and done really well. And we had other guys that one of our best developers, we offered him a lot of money to come on board and he said, no, I, I don't want to work in a corporate job. Um, I wanted to start up my own business. And I think... Well, these American businesses have done well in that they've created the environment that if you've got a mindset of you want a good job, good security, pay well, you can have that. Or if you want a job which pays far less but has the upside that if things go well, you're like basically in that startup environment. Like you see the CTO, I think it is, of Twitter has taken quite a low salary, but he can, if all things go well, can make a serious amount of money if, if the company grows and, and I think that I think that releases a different type of mindset and, and uh, I think people if they look at it probability wise they actually may be better off being in a steady corporate job than going for the big win but if their mindset is that they want to go for a big win and create a, a large business or large amount of wealth you've got to also cater for that mindset now I think um if you put basically um, extraordinary rewards in front of people, they can do extraordinary things, you know. And uh, it was really—it's been really interesting in startup space, and also where I've seen that in corporate environment, where you can give people the environment, give people the ability to have unlimited upside. They put in unlimited work, and um, and um, that's not for everyone. I know there's a million studies that say, "Oh, well, look, any more money, and and people don't work harder." And I know this stuff, but some there's some people. And mindsets that 
are really valuable and, and great skill sets in a corporate environment. And and I saw them being lost to corporate environment because they wanted to be in startup world. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to the workplace culture and really the way you you de- develop that as a leader. I mean, you, you have to lead the way. It comes all comes from, from the top. So if you as a leader are not practicing what, what you're preaching to your employees and you're not and um, and sometimes one other thing is we expect people to put the same effort into our businesses as we do ourselves. That's never going to happen. Our expectations become a bit too high, uh, and you know that that creates a bit of a toxic environment because you're always disappointed in this person's efforts, this person and that person's efforts. Where really it's you need to set expectations that are going to get you through above and beyond but also get creative in like the way all these other organizations have been able to like for example google will give you fridays to work on your own projects to help innovate and improve their products and they give you shares in 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 the revenue you, you generate from them and so on and so on small things like that make your employee feel like He's a part of the organization, he's invested in it, and it's his, you know. So it's just little things like that can make a huge difference in, in, in an organization. And I feel corporate Australia hasn't really picked, hasn't really nailed it yet. But I think now there's a huge push for that tech culture coming through, especially in Melbourne. Um, and I think it, it will happen. Any thoughts? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, the points you touch on, yeah, it's uh, it's um, you've got to create an environment, don't, don't you? That you're getting the best outcome for for, for the business, and and um, yeah, often I think your point is that it all comes um from the top is is a valid one. It's just in publicly companies, I I see that. Um, from whether it's shareholders or a board, is that they're in very strict bands about where pay should be, True. and um, and that's that's hard if you're up against other companies where there aren't strict bands where pay should be. And, and uh, uh, my view is that if if someone can bring shareholders dramatically more value, then why cap their ability to do that and cap their upside to do it? Because once you cap the upside of uh, really talented people, well, uh, they'll go to somewhere where it's not. And um, but uh, yeah, I think I think your points about it. Absolutely awesome, awesome, Tom. It's been an amazing chat. We've been through a lot. We've we've shared a lot of insight, especially yourself. Before I let you go, where can we find you online? Uh, j- just at TomWaterhouse.com. Awesome. You got all your social pages there, people. Go to TomWaterhouse.com. Get in, learn, research, and make it all happen. Tom, thank you very much for joining me on The Business Wilderness. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Bye-bye. No worries. You are listening to The Business Wilderness, the voice of entrepreneurs.